Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. face-to-face. I don't get the opportunity to look them in the eye or to shake their hands. And my next guest was joining me from L.A., uh, Shimon Dotin and his uh, new movie, The Settlers. Uh, this is this is a, a great, important, uh, beautiful film. You you need to see this uh, for a variety of reasons. And I do hope that you you uh, check out our conversation. We talk we talk about documentary cinema and, and the power that it has to to reveal. Uh, how it's an exercise in listening. We talk about the West Bank and about Israel. We talk about conflict. We talk about uh, ideology and religion and the separation, you know, of of, of religion and state. We really do get into um, uh, a whole lot of things here. Uh, Shimon talks about not being able to argue with somebody who believes that the Bible is a political contract. I mean, how interesting is that? So uh, please stay tuned uh, for our next conversation coming right up. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my podcasting. Also, um, you can help support what I do through patreon.com. And uh, don't forget rabble.ca for more interviews as well. Uh, please join us now for Shimon Dutin uh, as we talk about his film, The Settlers, here on Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by uh, a very uh, special guest here with us today to talk about his, uh, his new film, The Settlers. Uh, Shimon Dutan is here uh, all the way from L.A., uh, so a few hours behind us. Uh, Shimon, uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. And I'm in, in L.A. only today. I'll be oh, you're back only... on the East Coast tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, you're only in L.A. today. Well, that's too bad. It's uh, It's currently snowing here in Toronto, so... Yeah. What's uh, and you'll be heading back to New York. Yes, I'm here for the opening of uh, the Settlers in in LA. I'll be back to New York tomorrow. 
Before Shimon, before we dig into the the film, and I can't wait to chat uh, about the film as, itself as a, a, a as a piece, as a documentary uh, about uh, the, the the issues that it raises and so on. Tell tell me a little bit about your career. You're you, you're a professor. You're a filmmaker. You're you're an activist. Uh, you you you've you've not only worked in document uh, documentary, but you've also worked in some uh, Hollywood like films as well, and have won many awards. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you find yourself where you are today. I, uh, I started in Romania. <laughs> I was born in Romania, arrived to Israel at the age of nine, in 1959. My family uh, grew up in a, in a Mossad, which is a cooperative, agricultural cooperative. Uh, after serving in the Israeli military, I studied film and philosophy at Tel Aviv University. I did a few movies in Israel, uh, one of them called Repeat Die, which I think did play in Montreal and Toronto. Uh, the other is called The Smile of the Lamb, based on the first novel by David Grossman. And uh, at some point I joined my wife, which uh, grew up in the U.S. and in Canada, she's she was born in Montreal, mm. and uh, I tried to explore the other side of the ocean, uh, how do they make films. Right. Uh, it took some time to figure out that it's, uh, it's different than I, that I thought, that I expected. Right. But uh, nevertheless, I, um, I, start, I, I made a few films. Uh, I started making a film in Los Angeles, an action film. Um, I drew in good part on my... Um, Personal experiences as a Navy SEAL in the Israeli military, and um, uh, I spent time in Montreal. I did a few movies there. I taught at Concordia University, and uh, now I'm in New York, where I teach at NYU, and I mostly make movies. Now you're right in saying that most of my work is uh, fiction, narrative films, and in recent years I did two documentaries. The Settlers being the second. Mm. The first one was called Hot House, uh, that uh, dealt with the Israeli jails and um, the prisoner inmates that are spending their multiple life sentences to start with. Uh, the film was screened among other places uh, at CBC in Canada, and um, that's it. So, so as a storyteller, I mean, because I would imagine that's primarily what you are, professor, filmmaker, storyteller. Do, You've you've made two documentaries. You've made mostly narrative fiction films. Where where do you find the most truth? Um, the jury's still out. <laughs> the jury's search. still out. We are in a, we are in a search for this. Uh, you know the, 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 You should find the truth in both. You yes. should find the truth everywhere, and uh, it's not really where you find it. It's how do you approach it. And mm. I, I hope I'm not say that I'm always abiding by that, but I'm trying to uh, uh, draw the substance of the topics that I'm touching. And uh, if I uh, did now the settlers, so the film before that, the documentary Hot House, uh, I'm trying to understand the side of the individuals of the world that they occupy and the forces that shape them uh, in a way that do not seem to be evident uh, on the surface. And I know that film is a visual medium, and I'm trying to dig or to get 
the essence under the surface, but actually that seems to provide an interesting tension between what you mm. see and what you mm. know or what you think, what you feel. Uh, so, uh, but I just say I, I'm really drawn to documentaries. I find great joy in making uh, documentaries. They uh, provide uh, often a surprise element that uh, uh, is less present in a scripted uh, narrative film. Uh, so I, I, you know, I late get, in my career, I do documentaries, and, and I, it's wonderful. I, I really enjoy it very I, much. I, so much. Yeah, please. I guess, Ramon, I guess there's a lot more room for surprises in documentaries. I mean, you've got a, Absolutely. You've got a structure yeah. for a film. You've got the, the fiction, you've or the fictional narrative. You've got your storyboarding and so on. There's not a, I, I would imagine there's some um, room for, for creativity and growth on set and so on. But in a doc, the story kind yeah. of unfolds in front of you, doesn't it? Uh, yes, in a, the story, but uh, more than the story, the individual that is in front mm, of you. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I often come prepared. I, I learn as much as I can about the people that I that I meet. But there is always something surprising. There is always something, not always, but when it's good, it's surprising. You right. get an anger that you do not expect. You learn something. Um, and it's it's an encounter with a real individual, not with a scripted individual. But again, I'm not trying to take away from from narrative films. Right, that's, that's right. a great medium. But uh, because somehow documentaries were until I don't know a decade or two later as a, a less developed uh, brother of this uh, wonderful medium of cinema, uh, I think that it's it's remarkable. And you know, I go back often to Giga Vertov that is considered the father of documentary cinema. And what's remarkable that he discovered in the early 20s, as a part of this new Russian cinema, it, most of the traits, most of the qualities of documentary filmmaking. Um, so I don't know if you are familiar with his work, but then probably many of uh, those who are into filmmaking, into documentaries, recognize this Russian pioneer mm. as the father of documentary cinema. He's not only recognized the power of the camera to reveal uh, uh, things that the narrative uh, or uh, literature does not get to, but he deals, he deals with the medium itself. He makes mm. the camera a part of his documentary narrative. So, Anyway, yes, in favor of documentaries. I, I, uh, I've been on both sides, and I can, I can say with clear so conscience that documentary is as wonderful as any other film. I, ironic in a way that the father of documentary cinema comes out of Russia, isn't it? Well, yes, at a time when Pravda was uh, starting, uh, I mean, the Pravda was probably started at that time. And Lenin was a great admirer of the medium hmm. because he recognized immediately the tremendous power, the power. of the medium to sure. impact uh, audiences. Power, power, gave, power for propaganda, yeah. no doubt. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly yeah. what the case. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I, ironic that Stanislav would be looking, looking to reveal, looking to tell the truth, not, to, not to subvert, not to cover up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you tell your students that filmmaking is about? Um, is 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 about uh, I don't know creating a space for empathy in the viewer. I mean, is the, is that really as we as we move into starting to talk a little bit more about the settlers and congratulations by the way on a, a remarkable film. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's every everyone needs to see this film. I mean, this is 
this is the kind of, I think, filmmaking that's not only uh, brilliant on one hand, but it's important as well on another, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, is, is, is this about empathy? Is that, is that what you tell your students? Um, well, I do tell the students, I would say, that uh, especially documentary filmmaking is an exercise in listening. Mm. Is an exercise in opening up for the other. Mm. Mm. I have, I don't have much appreciation to documentaries that are preaching uh, uh, to acquire, even though no, they do have room. But uh, I, you know, I'm not here to make a political statement with my film. I'm right. here to genuinely listen to those who I'm in deep disagreement with. Right. And uh, in the process, I believe that I. I learn, I grow, I, I, I expand my world, and uh, in extension, I hope that same happens with my viewers, those who agree with me and those who disagree with me. But I'd say one more thing. What, what I find uh, exciting that is that every representation, even a documentary like The Settlers or anyone, uh, it tells a lot about that person who makes the representation. Mm. So we can learn a lot about the entity behind the film uh, and not only about what is in the film. And uh, I hope, I believe that uh, viewers can educate themselves to try to identify uh, where is the filmmaker, what, what drives him uh, to do things this way or another, etc. Um, so um, it's, it's a complex and very rich domain, mm -hmm. which... Uh, uh, we should uh, dive into it and uh, take the most out of it because really there is a lot there. There is a lot. The, Holly, the Hollywood Reporter has said, quote, former Israeli Navy SEAL and filmmaker Shimon Dotin has delivered a ticking encapsulation of the never-ending conflicts revolving around the Israeli settlements in the West Bank. Controversial before it was even filmed, this comprehensive examination of these Settlement communities which sprang up after the 67 Six-Day War and now are home to hundreds of thousands of Jewish settlers amid a Palestinian population is certain to ignite spirited debate, close quote. Um, you're about to, to, to screen the film in L.A. It's uh, screened at Sundance and NYU and others. Um, is it igniting spirited debate? Uh, is it as controversial as you thought it was going to be, Shimon? Is... I mean, I'm sure the whole process itself of writing, of shooting, of, of the people that you've met along the way has been an incredible uh, process of discovery for you, I would imagine, and the people involved. But, but what about the controversy? What about the debate? What about the conflict? Uh, controversial it is, indeed. Mm. Um, but I must say, to some degree, less than I expected. Mm. And uh, maybe I, I try to share with you the way that I was the thinking process that yes, uh, I was engaged while making the film. Uh, I am very much against the settlement enterprise. I think that it's detrimental to the state of Israel, and I think that it evolved in, a, in an uncalculated way uh, hmm. by the governments of Israel from the very beginning, from 1967 until today. Uh, they either surrounded to pressures uh, on the ground, try to gain immediate political uh, benefits, etc. Uh, but it has never been a national project. It has never been hmm. a result of a, an educated analysis that resulted in the conclusion that, yes, settlements in the West Bank 
will benefit the state of Israel. Right. And we see the result today. Israel is in a dead end with this reality. However, when I worked on the film, I, I thought to myself, and that's a comment that I just made a few minutes ago, that uh, there is no point in me making a political statement. Right. Uh, I can just write a blog or I can write an essay and uh, 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 you know, in a newspaper and express my political opinion that does not justify a film, in my view. But I thought I will do, and that somehow corresponds with my way of thinking, when, with my curiosity, is to understand those who I disagree with, mm. to get close to them, to mm. try to get into their, uh, uh, into their mind, into their houses, and uh, to identify the humanity in them. And we know that uh, you know, every individual, even though he is a sum of his actions, but there are many elements that construct him, that drive him. And no one was born uh, X, Y, or Z. People right. grow to be who they are. Right. And uh, when I started working on the film, I made it very clear to everyone that I spoke with that uh, among the settlers, the time, uh, a great opponent of, what they, of their work, of their life. I, I told them what I think about the settlement. And... Uh, to my pleasant surprise, most of them were willing to talk to me. Hmm. Even more so, that became a conversation which I think uh, become richer by making it clear that I'm coming from the opposite side than if I would try to somehow uh, you know, either steal an interview or be vague about my personal so, position. So, Shimon, is it, is, is it, am I correct to say then, so when you went in and you presented yourself uh, to, to, to the opposing side, to, to the other, as it were, in this, in this uh, discussion and argument, you were very clear that here, this is who I am, this is where I stand, uh, will you be a part of my film? Will you be a part of this story? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I... It, uh, I, I genuinely believe that that's the way. Well, that's the way for me, and right. I think it's it's a way that yields results, because people do like and seek to engage. Yes. And if you are uh, starting, and if you approach them with that attitude, people like to tell their story. They like to prove you wrong or right. to agree with right. you. And uh, that became a. It's a in a way, I would say we entered into some kind of relationship. And because of that, I believe, I hope, that what comes to the screen is uh, it's something revealing. It's not the veneer that people put forward in order to shield themselves, but it gave us an opportunity to really jump to the other side of this veneer and get into the mind, into the way of uh, that people think about their actions, their presence in the world, etc. So, I, I hope that uh, that uh, it comes uh, onto the screen uh, properly. Well, it, play, it plays in a, in in my, in my opinion, it plays in a very beautiful and engaging and kind of a resonant way. And it's the kind of film I think that uh, uh, you know the the the, the way you've. Um, juxtapose some of the what I would call almost the more racist elements or the more almost um, uh, uh, difficult elements to watch in the film you know are 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 uh, are going to stick with me uh, without a doubt I don't know how they can't not I think one of the things for me about any conflict like this you know being a Canadian coming from Toronto having spent um, you know a lot of time overseas uh, a lot of time yeah. of working in different cultures yeah. I'm always astounded at the hatred 
at at the yeah. anger, at the at the, uh, the 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 demonization of others, whoever they yeah. might be. Yeah. You know, yeah. our neighbors, our friends, our families. How quickly we yeah. are to turn. And so there's a sense in which I I watch this film and I'm again reminded about how old this conflict really is. You know, we've got that's, to... that's, uh, yeah, yeah, I I fully agree with you, and it's. You know, one of the first instincts in, in when a conflict emerges is polarization, is to draw the black and white line. Yeah, black and white. It's, it, it, it make, it, Shimon, it makes it easier, right? If, exactly. it, if, not, if it's black not, and white, not, yeah. You're right. Not only easier, it's almost a necessity. It's, an, it's a necessity, to, yeah, yeah. In order to really uh, engage uh, efficiently in a violent conflict, mm. you mm. need to really have, a, a, you know, to demonize uh, the other. However, if you are trying to defuse a conflict, I think that the first thing that you have to do is to take away this black and white uh, right. uh, portrayal of the world and try to uh, get to the more nuanced uh, uh, reality that is actually uh, uh, just in front of you. So I think that it's our responsibility, almost our, our duty, to identify other sides in those who are opposing and try to somehow to to bring it to the surface. And uh, of course, it's true on a personal level, but I think it's true on a national level as well. And uh, politics is often uh, too much of a black and white uh, Mm. binary reality, Mm. which does not serve us well in many instances. Well, and, 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 and and doesn't so much of religion fall into that black and white category as well? I mean... Oh, that's a big one. That's yeah. Well, I want to. I want to ask you: Is this a religious? Is this really a religious problem? Is it, or or is it more of a revenge problem? I mean, I know it's not as you know, yeah. it's not either or. It's not black or white. It's far more nuanced and 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 and, and complicated and paradoxical. But still, you know, you you do you <laughs> you know you you get into conversation, or the the two of us are in conversation, and I I'm I'm frustrated already because I I I I want a I want a solution, Jamon. Right after yeah, but, watch after yeah. watching your film, I walk away saying, "For crying out loud, why can't we, you know, begin to get yeah. in the room together, you know, well, and, and and have this conversation?" And and what I think is beautiful about your film, by the way, is that it sounds to me like that conversation is starting and things are moving a yeah, little well, bit. I don't think, yeah, well, I don't think that one film can uh, can make the change, but it's one film and another film. And it's, it's part part of program, the bigger story, and that's. Of course, we are all participating in, in, in a big cultural uh, evolutionary uh, process. And I do believe, fact is that things in the world do change. Yes. It's never a one man doing. It's a result of a common will of people yes. that express uh, common views. So I, I do think it's just, you know, it's a brick in the building that we hope to do. It's never one uh, element alone. But uh, you made before, David, a point which I, I find crucial. And you talk yes. about religion. Yes, yes. And if religion is the core of the conflict or not. Well, it's complicated. But it could have been simple. That conflict at its core is territorial. There is no more than that. There are two people who are fighting on the same territory. And uh, I think that territory can be divided, mm. and often territory mm. is divided. Mm-hmm. However, with the settlement enterprise, what happened is the, the major forces that drove the settlement enterprise at its inception 
first month, years after 1967, were ideological and religious in nature. And because of that, it evoked a religious response from the other side. I'm not saying that the other side, the Palestinians or the Muslims in the region, were not religiously driven. But that was not the core of the conflict. The core was territorial. Right. However, once it became a religious conflict, two things happened, and both of them are terribly uh, dangerous and detrimental to any chance to achieve peace. On one hand, in, from a conflict that can be resolved, it became absolute. Mm. Because land you can divide, the water you can share, you know, all these things. But religion, sanctity, you cannot divide. Right. So it became an absolute. And it became an absolute in the hands of politicians. And that's the moment when religion infiltrated politics. And when the politics are tainted with religion, you cannot compromise. And you could see too often in the region that uh, uh, Itzhak Rabin was willing to compromise, but because he was tainted as the man who, who gives away holy land, he was assassinated, right. he was killed. And the whole history in the region changed. Uh, that, so the first immediate uh, impact is that uh, it's absolutized. No, there is not such a word, but make give your English. No, no, it's English. good. I'm, I'm okay yeah. with creating new words, okay. so go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> so it makes the conflict absolute. Yes. Meaning it's, it's irresolvable. On the other hand, which is even a bigger problem, the conflict ceased to be a local, regional conflict. It become a world conflict. It become a, a, all the Jews in the world against all the Muslims in the world, right. or, or the right. other way around. Right. And when that happens, you know the terms are, are, are terrible. It's, it's well, it's not, uh, Shimon. It's it's become a it's become a global conflict, right? I exactly. Mean, it's, it's global exactly. territory. It's become global. Yes. Still it, yes. still territorial, but but globally territorial. Well, it's global. So, uh, the, in my view, the core of the problem at present time is the lack of separation between religion and state. Hmm. And if Israel will not be inspired to make this separation, I'm afraid that we are not going to see favorable times ahead of us. And, um, you know, Zionism started as a secular enterprise with one and only one goal, is to provide safe haven to persecuted Jews. Hmm. That's what, that what Herzl's idea. That's what drove him to start modern Zionism. And he seeked, uh, he was seeking a, a, a land, a, a state that will be recognized by the nations of the world and will host Jews, will be the home for the Jews in the world. And he always was talking about the democracy. And for that, we need to keep the state with, that has a democratic Jewish population. And as such, it can call itself Jewish. If it loses its, its Jewish majority, it will be something else, which you know, I don't, you know, without speculating too much, that was not the purpose of the inception of the state of Israel. And what we have today is that religion took over in a way that uh, completely turned upside down the, the, the uh, forces that drove the state of Israel to come into being. So how, how do you have 
a, a discussion, and you clearly were able to do it as a filmmaker and, and, and someone who was clearly uh, invested in this, this dialogue and this conflict in a variety of ways. But, you know, one of, one of the rabbis, I believe, that you've, you've talked to in the film said, quote, we, we, we saw it as a divine, or we see it as a divine calling. Yes, yes. How yes. do you have a conversation with someone who has yes. divine revelation up their sleeve? Yes. Or on their side, and I just—it's—it's yeah. it's a my—it's you know coming out of you know my own tradition of philosophy academically. For me, yeah. you know, it's about you know Socratic dialogue. It's about the dialectic. It's about yeah. back and yeah. forth yeah. until we can say, you know what, aha, now now I get it. I I see what yeah. you're saying. But if I've got divine authority on my side, if I'm this absolutist, as you say, there's no room, or there's very yeah. little room, it seems to me. Yeah. You're right, and maybe that's one of the reasons that I try not to go there, because the dialogue ends the moment that uh, that uh, justification become uh, uh, it's biblically it's written in the Bible or, or divine intervention. You have that. Gr- sorry, no sorry, more. Shimon, I have to interrupt you. You have that great, beautiful scene in the film, tragically beautiful scene in the film where the young woman is sitting on the rocks, yeah. looking out over the olive trees. And yeah. you and you you ask a question, and she said, "Well, we're, we don't tend to these olive trees, um, you know, the, the the Palestinians do." And 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 you yeah. say, "Who decided that?" Well, God decided, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ask her. She says that this is this is uh, our land. She says, "Who said this is?" So God she says, "God said." God said, "This is our land." I ask her. God said that the land between uh, uh, the settlement of Eshkodesh and the village of Jalud belongs to you, to the Jews, says it's written in the Bible. Now, you cannot argue with individuals who believe that the Bible is a, is a contract, is a political document to be implemented. Um, and hmm. as I said before, that's not Zionism. Zionism is applied to provide safe heaven to persecuted Jews. And the state of Israel is a liberal democratic state that is there to find a place for Jews to, to, to explore their identity, uh, to do good in the world, and to engage in what is called in Hebrew, tikkun olam, that, uh, to, to, to benefit the world. And it's not an expansionist uh, uh, ideology, and it's not an overpowering ideology. Uh, and the, the tragedy of a great military victory is that infuses a foreign element into an idea which was pure and humane at its core. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, with your background in philosophy, I'm sure that it's not new to you to understand that great military victories are often uh, the first step towards a terrible disaster. Mm. Um, so um, I think we have to find a way to go back to the roots of Zionism, and uh, and uh, not only that, but to understand that the conflict we cannot allow the conflict to become a religious one. To what degree would you say it's become so muddied? The waters have become so muddied. Um, I've read several reviews on the film talked about how, you know, from from a settler's perspective, it's not just about territory, it's not just about religion or revenge, but it actually might just be a little bit about real estate. And, 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 and there's got to be, of 500,000 or so people, there have to be just families who are just trying to get by and trying to live their lives, right? This, this isn't a political yeah, statement yeah. for them. This is, of course. you know, I've got, three, right. I've got three kids and I want them to have an education and I need a good job, and right? I love, I love, yeah, I love my friends and family. 
You are absolutely right. And actually, the numbers are, I'm sure, surprising to many. About so, just to go back to the figures, there are about 410, 20,000 Israeli settlers living in the West Bank today. Hmm. About 80% of them, not less, are there for economical reasons. Right. They're there for housing, for for just or, or better their quality of life. Only 20% of those uh, settlers are ideologically and religiously driven. And the reason to that is that Israel provided housing in the West Bank and less so in Israel proper. And, uh, you know, as much as we try to to be political and and absolutist, uh, you cannot blame a family that cannot find the proper housing in Israel. Of course And they are offered better housing uh, not too far into the West Bank. And this whole, you know, the territory, it's very small, from Tel Aviv to Ariel, which is a city in the heart of the West Bank, maximum half an hour drive. Half wow. an hour. Wow. You get to downtown Toronto to, I don't know, a suburb in much more time than that. Yes, yes. And, uh, and most of the people are preoccupied with their life, you know, with what they're providing for their family, etc. And many of, of our, you know, Torontonians or, or Tel Aviv are not so much concerned with politics and with, with the uh, ideas or idealism, but to provide for their families. Yeah. Well, and, and, and isn't isn't this? I mean, okay, so let's go idealistic here for a second. Let's go. Let's go really hopeful. Um, isn't this a place to find some kind of common ground? Uh, well, I don't know. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's... I tell you why. Because once uh, somebody uh, gets. Uh, a good house or a proper housing and some are getting more than a good house and mm. beautiful views and uh, right. Judea and Samaria are just wonderful, wonderful pieces of land It's it's uh, and I try by the way to make it a player in the film uh, but once that happens people will be reluctant to give it away Right. But even if they're not there for ideological reasons, but uh, believe me, uh, economic reasons are very strong ideology. Sure, of course. So, uh, therefore, but I want to say on the positive side that about, again, 80% of the settlers live in close proximity to the Green Line. And uh, it's one of the agreements, the potential agreements that's on the table, is that uh, uh, through a land swap, Israel can keep 80% of the settlers where they are today and still uh, uh, releasing enough territory for the Palestinians to uh, have a state of their own. You know, I've got a kind of a bigger question for you, and it's it's very, I mean, I think it's very specific to, to what's going on here in this part of the world, but I think it relates, and especially with my background in development, international development in particular, you know, the whole idea of going into another community you know, as a white Western development worker is, is deeply problematic on a variety of levels yeah. and can cause all kinds of problems, you know, of context and culture and or lack of cross-cultural sensitivity and so on. You know, uh, somebody in the film says, you know, this is, a, I believe, a, my paraphrase here, but it was a, a, it's, this is a European problem or a European, a European yeah. concept. The homeland, I believe. You know, the UN partition, yeah. the UN partition in '47. You know, what, 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 what uh, right did they have? You know, to 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 actually impose those kinds of things. So I guess my question is, Ron, and it's a biggie. Um, if if other cultures had stayed out of this, 
w would 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 we be in the place we're in today? Does that make sense? I mean, again, I know it's kind of an either-or sort of polarized question and presupposes a whole lot. But I just mm -hmm. wonder to what degree, you know, the American involvement, the Syrian involvement, the Egyptian involvement, and yeah. so on and so on. Um, wh wh where do you land on that? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to compare uh, cultures, societies, nations. Yes, yes. Uh, the Americans had a very simple way to resolve the Indian problem. And uh, that's quite terrible. Mm. And I mm. don't think, not I don't think, I know, uh, the 2.8 Palestinians who live in the West Bank are not going anywhere. They are there to stay. Right. And uh, Israel does recognize that, but only half-heartedly. Interesting. Recognize it because uh, the last uh, three decades or so, uh, Israel is governed by right-wing government that actually are great proponents of the settlement, yet no, none of those governments dare to annex the West Bank or territories of it. So there is a recognition that this is not a, a simple solution to, to annex it. The alternative to keep living there and uh, creating disturbed separation between two people, between the Israelis or Jews and the Palestinians, is not sustainable. We have a disparity of 1 to 20 in the income between the Jews and the Palestinians in this region. Wow. Uh, so all these are factors that are calling for a resolution, not as, a, as something that will be good only for the Palestinians, but it's a necessity for the Israelis as well. Uh, so when you ask about what would have happened or what could be different, um, it's, it's really it's, it's a very small piece of land, but we are doomed to live with our Palestinian neighbors, and they are doomed to live with us. And uh, we have to resolve it. And what, to my great, uh, uh, how to say, the disappointment that the current uh, Israeli government does not genuinely try to resolve it. They are trying to, uh, to maintain the status quo, and with the hope that some, I don't know, a divine intervention will bring mm -hmm. solution. But um, as we know, divine intervention is busy somewhere else. It's not going to uh, visit us anytime soon. Before, I, I want to ask you about one of the young men that you interview uh, and his what appear to be deeply disturbing racist tendencies and uh, inclinations in the film, and I, I want to ask you about that. Um, well, in fact, why don't we do that before we kind of... We're going to have to wrap up here, uh, sadly, in a few minutes, Jumo, and I can't believe yeah. uh, our conversation is coming to end. But but there's this uh, young man that you interview, and, and he, he, yeah. he says eight or nine times in the, in the context of what, a 45-second answer? He's a racist. Yeah. And, and I yeah. won't do all these things to help anyone else because I'm a racist. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, any, 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 any Arabs, any Muslim. Um, is that, I mean, is that, uh, is that fairly common? I mean, you say 80% no. 80, 80 no. are settlers who are there for economic reasons, 20% well, are there course. for ideological, but that's got to be pretty extreme, doesn't it? That's extremely extreme. Okay. Let me just say that uh, those, the vast majority of the settlers in the West Bank are not extremists. They are just, you know, people that are a reflection, a mirror view of the population of Israel. And they, as we said a few minutes ago, they are there to do well for themselves and their family, and they are not racist, and they are not extremists. However, the settlement enterprise at its inception and through 
its evolution was driven by the extremists. Mm. So that, that, therefore, I focus in the film in good part uh, on the extremists. Now, this young man that uh, declares himself being a racist, I, I was uh, surprised and troubled to hear him saying that. Even more so, I was hesitant to include it in the right. film because this is not a sentiment that I heard often. I did hear it and I did see expressions of it, but it's, it's, uh, it's marginal. Okay. However, the margins too often are driving this locomotive. Right. And right. because of that, I thought that it would be important to include it. So, well, you all, you, it's, it's as if you've, you've unpacked this uh, notion of ideological bullying, <laughs> you yeah, know, and, yeah, and it's yeah. something I've never, I've never really sort of reflected on it in that sense before. And, and it's, it's, it's incredibly dangerous, as you say, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, good to hear though, that it's, it's, it's more rare than, than not. Um, uh, Major General, he was a commander, is it uh, Shlomo Gezit? Is that how you pronounce yes, his exactly. name? Yes, exactly, Shlomo yeah. Gezit, yes. He says, uh, um, uh, I, I know, you know, uh, I know that it can't go on this way. 85 years old, I imagine he's seen uh, <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, he, uh, was the first, he, he was the first commander of the occupied territory. And he was the person on the ground. He saw it all. He saw and it all. And he has this perspective of, of, of 50 years or so, from 1967 yep. until today. And him, like many in his position, are absolutely keen of the absolute need of a resolution that will recognize the, the two-state solution. And he, sa he says, he says uh, let's wait, let's wait. I mean, I guess he's probably a little tongue-in-cheek, but he says, let's wait another 500 years. Yeah, no, no. I asked him, uh, I told him that the Sedna Enterprise is uh, so uh, uh, much present and potent and then just growing. And if it lasted for 50 years, why not for 500 years? And his response was, listen, I'm 88 years old now. So you can say, if it lasted 88 years old, why not another 808 right, years? Right. And he says it's not sustainable. It's, it's not sustainable. Uh, he doesn't know how it will change, but it will change. And we better be those who will initiate the change than having to face an unexpected change in the future. Uh, Shimon, just before we wrap up, you, you still, to me, and, and I'm, I, don't, I'm not, I don't want to put any words in your mouth here at all, and I don't think you'd let me anyway, but you sound hopeful. Is that fair? Is that a fair question? Fair comment? That's absolutely, that's absolutely precise comment. It's not that I'm hopeful. I'm convinced, but at the same time, because I'm determined to preserve and mm. keep and let the state of Israel evolve into what it was designed to be. And we cannot afford any other option. The project of Israel cannot fail. And I believe that there is enough positive energy, and there are many individuals in Israel and around the world that will not let that happen. And the fact that the dialogue about the settlement, the dialogue about the division between, or the infiltration of religion into states, for example, uh, all that are a part of our immediate dialogue, uh, are a testimony to that, that uh, 
there is the help is in the way. Mm. Let me put it this way. Help, help is on the way. On the way, yeah. Well, I think you know that's probably going to be too, too positive a note for some who are listening to this interview. But I think uh, I think uh, I'm going to end it there, and maybe maybe we can do a part two together down uh, in the future. I I really appreciate the time. I, I I'm, uh, I'm genuinely thrilled that we were able to to find the time to have this conversation, Shimon, uh, to talk about your new film. The film is The Settlers. Uh, Shimon de Town talking today uh, about his new film. And um, what's what is the future of the film? So it's it's getting it's getting a wide release, or has already been released, has it not? Uh, yes, it's being released uh, as I mentioned in New York, Los Angeles, nice. uh, Toronto, Montreal, uh, and it was screened in Europe uh, quite largely. It had last summer in Israel a wide theatrical release. So the film gets gets. Uh, quite a substantial attention, and I would say it's not the film, it's the topic, and I hope yes. the topic through the lens of the film. Well, I, I congratulations again, Shimon, on a beautiful, uh, a tragically beautiful film, and I trust that it will continue to, to uh, create uh, or ignite, as I think the Hollywood Reporter said, ignite spirited debate. Thank you, David. You're very kind. Thank you very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.